0: In your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at the book of Exodus. I'm just taking a little break from Proverbs here. Exodus chapter 15. Uh, one of the one of the I think I'm going to call it a classic book. But Philip Yancey wrote a book years ago called "Disappointment with God." Some of you have probably read that book, and I love it for a number of reasons. One, I think he explains, you know, why people are a little disappointed at times. But I love the illustrations, and one of them uh, I'm going to use this morning is a story of a. a a young missionary who went to Peru. And so Philip Yancey now is flying into Peru, and he comes to this small aboriginal village, and the float plane taxis to the riverbank, and he's guided along a jungle trail to the main street in a town that's basically dirt paths surrounded by a dozen huts built on stilts covered with palm front roofs. And he's been brought there to see uh, a thriving 40-year-old church but what was also shown him was a marker just off the main path and told the story of that young missionary family who helped establish this church. When he was uh, his child that was born on the mission field was only six months old, this child died. The little baby died. And the, and the young man that was the father just could not seem to get over the loss of his son. He hewed a marker by hand from local stone, the marker that they were now looking at, under which that baby was buried. And the missionary planted a tree by the grave. And at the hottest part of each day, when everyone else sought shade, he would go down by the river and haul back a jug of water for that tree. And then he would stand by that grave, his shadow following across it, as if to shield it from the blazing equatorial sun. Sometimes he would weep, sometimes he would pray, and sometimes he would just stand there with a vacant gaze. His wife, many of the native church people, and other missionaries all tried to comfort him, but to no avail. Eventually he got sick, his mind wandered, his condition grew worse, they flew him to Lima, they couldn't find any tropical disease or any reason for what was happening in his life. Obviously he was dealing with an issue of grief. So nothing helped him, and finally he and his wife were returned back to the U.S. Now standing before that crumbling marker, Yancey tried to put himself in that young man's shoes. He wondered what he had prayed, first of all. The guide said he had been tormented by questions of fairness. In other words, what did his child do wrong that he had to suffer and die? He had brought his family here to serve God in this jungle. Was this his reward for being faithful? He had also prayed for some sign of God's presence or at least a word of comfort, but he was unable to receive any. And as if distrustful of God's own sympathy, he took on the form of a sympathetic sufferer in his own body. And then Yankee concludes the story in his book. He said, true atheists don't presume to feel disappointment with God for they expect nothing from him. But those who commit their lives to God, no matter what, instinctively expect something in return. And then he raises this interesting question. Are those expectations wrong? Now we know from reading the scriptures, and especially the book of Hebrews, where God declares that he will reward people that diligently seek him. And it says without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that first of all, he exists, and secondly, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, the issue in the story of the young missionary is that though he gave all to follow Christ, he found himself in a very challenging, painful time in his life. And God did use his life in a very profound way because a church was actually established there. But what the story tells us is that none of us are immune from pain from sorrow, from suffering, from heartache in this life. It is a fact that sin and suffering and disease and death are a part of this earthly journey. You know, this past week, I had the privilege of officiating a very large funeral on Wednesday. I attended another service, funeral service on Thursday to someone who'd been in our church family for years. Then on Friday morning, I got a text at six something in the morning, I was already up. One of our staff, Kim Lee, her father had passed away, and so she was letting me know that she's going to be flying to South Africa. And then that morning, I was also praying for a young pastor, well, young, younger than I am, who's spent the last I don't know over a month, you know, in a hospital, had eight surgeries for his heart. He's now in a semi, you know, basically an induced coma. His chest cavity wide open, eight open heart surgeries. And now he's got equal eye and they don't know if he'll pull through. So I was just, that was kind of my week in a nutshell. And I was thinking to myself, so much suffering, so much sorrow. And you know, as human beings, we just are affected by those things, are we not? It's just part of being a human person. And yet, the good news is, we don't just have this life to consider. That there's a hope that sustains us in life's most difficult and challenging times, and yet there are rewards that even transcend, go beyond this earthly life. God himself reveals his grace, his blessing, his mercies, and even his power to us as God's children. Philip, uh, sorry, Stephen Carnock reminds us power is essential to the divine nature. It's true mercy is essential and justice is essential, but power more apparently essential because no acts of mercy or justice or wisdom can be exercised him without power. It's an interesting thought. You know what actually takes power to do what we will? And since God is all-powerful, he is able to do all of his will. Why? Because God is all-powerful. Probably one of the greatest stories that defines God's love and also his power is what Jesus came to do on the cross. That was an expression of immense love, but also power. But you know, I wanna look at a different story today from the Old Testament, it's found in the book of Exodus. I've already had you turn there. It's the story of the children of Israel being delivered from slavery, a slavery they had been in for 400 years. You know, I just want you to travel the corridor of time with me as we see these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that were trapped now in slavery. God had actually foretold that this was going to happen to their ancestor, Abram or Abraham. And we find that not only... Did he foretell that? But he also foretold their deliverance. And I want to just point out in the book of Genesis chapter 15, it says, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land or in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, the land that Abraham was wandering in, for the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure." Now, the story of the Exodus is a story of power. You cannot read the first number of chapters and not see the hand of God in his power against those who had been oppressing his people for so long. But can you hear now in the story the agonizing cry of oppression ascending before the throne of God day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You know, even lifetimes were actually lived in slavery and ended in slavery. And still, no response from God. People born and dying in that squalor of poverty and oppression, cruelty and hopelessness. Young men beaten, some dying in their prime. Can you hear the voices of mothers' cries to God, why are you allowing this? Or could you hear the others crying, how long will this continue? What would sustain a people in this kind of a situation, but were it not for a hope that God would hear and deliver them? I believe it kept them from absolute devastation and destitution, and yet, when hope is deferred, the Bible says the heart is sickened. And I can see that little flame flickering and waning as time was progressing. You and I look at that story in hindsight. It just seems to happen in a few pages of Scripture. But can you imagine living the story? We know that God had a plan and a purpose for those people just as God has a plan and a purpose for us when we are going through very challenging and difficult times in our lives. We can just imagine those conditions with no sign of encouragement, no sign of change on the horizon, no words of encouragement, it seemed, from God simply a silence. Why doesn't God respond when we want him to? We know from reading Genesis that God was actually doing something very significant. He was giving the Amorites, it says, or the nations living in the land of Canaan 400 years to change their mind and repent and turn to God. So God was long-suffering towards these people to return to him. But a day came as God had promised, a day came to the nation of Israel where he brought his deliverance. He was no longer indifferent to their cry. And that day came when God began to speak to a man at a burning bush. The Bible says, The Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I want to declare to you that God knows your trouble today, He hears your cry. He sees the pain, he sees the suffering, he sees the sorrows, he sees the confusion, the doubt, the despair that many times we feel in our hearts. He says, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You know, I would highlight that in my Bible, and I would write down, God is concerned when I suffer, because when I suffer, God suffers with me. It says here, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians have or are oppressing them. Can I just say this, that God is always concerned about the oppressed? And God will always address the oppressor. It may not always be in our timetable. may not be when we want it to happen. It may not even be in this lifetime for some, as we could see from the story here in Exodus. But I want you to know that God will deal with all injustice. Then it says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, if you've read this part, Moses is not excited about going. How many know that's true? He makes all kinds of reasons why he doesn't want to do it. And yet I've thought about this and I think most of us in this room, we actually have a lot in common with Moses because when God sends us out to go tell the people who are in captivity and in slavery because of their sin in our own city, we're pretty reluctant to go ourselves, are we not? Now, I'm really applying it. You see how this works? You know, we look at that and go, What's wrong with Moses? But I think sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, What's wrong with me? And I think what's happened is many of us today are afraid to talk. Many of us have been silenced. You know, the, the uh, culture today is quite oppressive towards the things of God. Haven't you noticed? And God. We need your spirit to come upon us. We need to have a holy boldness and a courage. We need to have a heart of understanding and compassion for people who are actually struggling, many of them with tremendous pressure, difficulty, and affliction in their lives. Then Moses asks a very revealing question in chapter 3, verse 13. He said to God, "'Suppose I go to the Israelites.'" And I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, on the, on the surface, it almost seems to, see, to be stating here that Moses is saying, hey, who are you? But can I tell you Moses actually knew who God was? Moses knew that this was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what I think Moses was doing? I think Moses was saying, where have you been? You see, I like what John, or sorry, what, uh, yeah, John Durham has said. He's a commentator. He writes this This question has little, however, to do with identity. Moses himself was satisfied by the identification, the God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What Moses was asking then has to do with whether God can accomplish what he's promising. You see, you have to understand something in the ancient mindset. In the ancient mindset, Nobody was an atheist. Everybody believed in gods. And what they believed was when their culture was dominating another culture, it was because their god was greater than the other people's god. And so now, for 400 years, the Egyptian deities had literally been dominating the Israelites, and so the assumption was made in the minds of the Egyptians that the Israelite god had no power. Can you see why? Here they were, they were enslaved, they were crying out, nothing was happening. And Pharaoh himself saw himself as one of the deities. So what is there in his reputation that lends credibility to the claim and his call? In other words, hey God, where have you been for 400 years and why are you sending me now? You didn't do anything there. Hey, I need, I mean, you just can't go into Egypt and tell the most powerful nation in the world, let my people go. That's not going to fly here, God. I just want to point this out to you. How suddenly can he be expected to deal with the host of powerful Egyptian deities against whom across so many years he had apparently won no victory for his people? Can you see what Moses' problem was? Then the Israelites in Egypt oppressed savagely across many years and crying out with no let up to their God have every reason to want to know what can he do? Or perhaps better, what can he do? You know, like, what what are you going to do here, God? I like that. That's an interesting way of looking at it. It's a question of God's power or ability. Moses is basically saying, can you really do this? Because how many know it's one thing for me to go up to somebody, but if you don't have the backup, this isn't going to go well for me, right? I mean, if, God, you don't show up, we're in trouble here. These guys are going to not only laugh us off the scene, we're going to probably be destroyed in the process. So if you don't know the story, when you're reading through this second book of the Bible, you read the first 15 chapters, you're going to stand in amazement because all of a sudden God starts working in absolutely supernatural ways. And we read of those amazing plagues that came against the oppressors, the Egyptians. And Pharaoh, who thought he was a god, said, who is this god that I should listen to? Well, I'll tell you, God started showing up big time, and Pharaoh started realizing, you know what, I've sinned. I'm starting to get the picture. This God is greater than any of the gods in Egypt. You know, British preacher F.B. Meyer reminds us, long years of waiting and preparation and obedience shall be warded at last as certainly as God is God. In other words, just because God delays, it's not necessarily God's denial. God is up to something. God has a reason and a purpose for all of these things. Now, John Our William McDonald reminds us, just as the Passover speaks of redemption by blood, the Red Sea speaks of redemption by power. Isn't that amazing? And here's the good news. I like what Myers concludes. If not before, yet surely when the eternal morning is breaking on the shores of time, we shall join in shouts of victory. In other words, we can rest assured. We may may feel like we're losing, but there's going to come a day when you're going to be shouting songs of victory and you're going to see that as we turn into our text this morning we're going to look at uh, chapter 15 of the book of Exodus and i want to take a look at three expressions of god's power as they come through the red sea and the egyptian army is destroyed here's the song of victory first of all it's stated in a confession it's actually when you have your faith realized Faith is not just something we're hoping in. Faith is not just something we're trusting in, but when we actually experience the end result of our trust and faith in God. And their confession was actually sung. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he has hurled them into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. How many love it when God finally comes through and answers prayer? How many love it when God really comes through and provides in a big time way? Aren't you kind of a little happy then? They're doing a happy dance right here on the other side of the Red Sea. That's what's going on here. He is my God, I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Wow, I want to declare to you something this morning. You and I are in a huge spiritual battle, but I want to declare to you, our God is a warrior and will defeat all the powers of darkness. He will defeat the greatest enemy of humanity, which is what, Pastor? Which is death itself. And in the face of seeing so much death and suffering and sorrow this week, I want to declare to you this morning that our God is greater than death itself, and you and I will see that victory in our in our time, we will actually pass through that door one day and be in the presence of God and we'll be able to say, like the writer to the Corinthians, oh death, where is your sting, amen? Well, it was a song directed to God. Why the song? Because of God's great deliverance. God had intervened, what had appeared as a tragedy, trapped by the sea, was actually God's design to reveal his love and power to his people. Can I just declare to you that your time of testing and trial and your difficulty is actually designed by God to bring you to a place to see his marvelous power and his grace. You know, he knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what keeps us from ultimate, and he's able to keep us from ultimate harm and defeat. You know, Jesus even taught us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil or the evil one. Exodus 17 says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Now, in our own wisdom, this is how we operate. Well, there's the road. This is how many days it's gonna take, right? But God didn't lead them there. Remember, they were being led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He says, though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they will change their minds and return to Egypt. You know, God knows exactly how to lead each one of our lives. Isn't that beautiful? Now, how many would have said, God, uh, the road's over there. You're you're taking me into the desert. And, you know, I just want to point out to you, there's a problem right there. There's a big body of water that's going to block us from going any further. Do you see why the Bible says trust in the Lord with all your, trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding? Why does it tell us to do that? Because we're constantly tempted to do what? Lean to our own understanding. But how many know, the guy says, if you trust him with all your heart, what's he gonna do? He's gonna make your way smooth. He's gonna... You know, if we acknowledge him in all our paths, he's going to make the way known to us. He's going to direct our steps. That's why he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. God knows the best way to lead our lives. And some of us kind of go, God, I don't get what you're doing. How many have ever said that to yourself? I don't think God really knows what he's doing here. Anybody ever had that conversation? You're just going, this is not the way I thought about it. This is not the way I'm planning it. This is not working out according to my agenda. Anybody else have that in your head? You know, this isn't quite exactly what I had in mind. God knows, but he says, yeah, I know all of that stuff, but I have something better. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. He led them into the wilderness, folks. He knew what path he was leading them on. And he said to them, if I lead you directly there, it's not going to go well with you. You're not ready for the promised land. So there was a test that brought about an ultimate victory. We read that Pharaoh changed his mind. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their service. In other words, we said we've lost our employment agency. This is not a good thing. So he had his chariot made ready. took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. God was orchestrating the event. How many say, I can see God was orchestrating this? This was all planned out. Does anybody know that? Do you know that God actually raised up that particular pharaoh? Many scholars believe this was Ramses, one of the greatest pharaohs of all time. Isn't that amazing? Now just think about it. Now, You have the greatest military might in the world. If God would have led the Israelites right into the promised land, the Egyptians would have went right in there and and taken over the entire Canaanite region. So God says, I'm going to take care of that problem. How many know God's ahead of you? God is in your future, folks. God knows what's needed for your tomorrow. You and I don't know, right? Right? We think we know, we don't. We're in the moment, we're in the now. This is the problem today, God. God goes, yeah, I'm gonna solve the problem tomorrow. Something's gonna happen today that's gonna prepare you for your tomorrow. This is what I'm doing. It says there that Pharaoh decided, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Then it says here, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them And they, the Israelites, were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Don't you love that statement? You know, the greatest army in the world is marching down on you. And Moses said, just relax, guys. We can handle this. How many of you have ever felt that moment, you know, where you're going, this is way outside of my pay grade. You know, this is way beyond me. And I'm a little nervous about what's going on. He says, don't be afraid. I love the next word. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord who will bring you... uh, victory to you today, basically deliverance to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I am gonna solve the problem once and for all. I love that. You know, do you realize that the only healthy spiritual response to spiritual warfare is to stand still? What do we wanna do? Run like crazy. Isn't that true? We wanna give up, we wanna faint, we wanna take off, we wanna disappear, God says no, you gotta stand up. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. And folks, I wanna just say to us as Christians, we're living in a time when things are gonna intensify in our culture and the word that God wants us to hear is don't be afraid. Stand still and watch what your God will do, because when people start fighting with God's people, who are they really fighting with? God. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Don't mess with what God likes. You're going to get in trouble. The Lord will what? He'll fight for you. You need only to be still. Let me move on. It was really a call to trust God, wasn't it? Let's go to the second point. It's seen in overcoming conflict. It's faith prevailing. How many know in life there's conflict? Anybody ever experienced conflict in life? Anybody have any sort of understanding with conflict? Oh, of course. But here's what happens. Faith prevails. When we go through the trial, though we may stumble and falter, God is there ready to step our, uh, steady our steps like a parent, helping a child to walk. How many have ever had a little toddler and you grab them by the hand and they're just wobbling all over and you're helping them? And what happens when you help them? They don't fall down because you're, you're steadying them. You're, you're assisting them. I want you to know God is walking with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll steady you. I'll hold you. I'll, I'll help you walk along here. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love that picture. Here we we hear the boast of the enemy, verse 9. The enemy boasted, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. How many I wills are there? Quite a few of them, right? Isn't that amazing how the enemy is always boasting? Yeah, I read that in the book of Isaiah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, that's the enemy. It's full of that stuff. What's God's response to the threat of the enemy? Verse 10. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. God just went, that's what I think of Pharaoh. They're gone. How many of you kind of like it when God's working for you? I'm just going, God, I'm just gonna nestle right up with you. I'm just gonna be on your side here. I just want to stay over here, right? You know, if there's enemies, I'm running over there beside God. You know, if Satan's chasing me, I'm going, I'm just gonna stand here. I just want you to know God's got my back. You know, right? I love that. You can be just courageous when you know God's got your back. You want to mess with my big brother? Because isn't Jesus our elder brother? You want to mess with my big brother? I just point that out. Want to mess with my big brother? He's right there. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Why did God display his power in behalf of his people? Verse 13, in your unfailing love, in your said, your covenant love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So what is, what is Moses saying here? First of all, I I love this declaration of Moses. Now he's answering his own question. Remember earlier he said, who are you, God? Now Moses is saying, I know who you are, God. You are awesome. You are the awesome God. You are majestic in holiness. Holiness means you are unlike anybody else. Isn't that great? You are different than all these other deities and gods. You are the God of the heavens and the earth. You transcend everything. Nobody can mess with you. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. Wow, get a vision of who God is, isn't that great? You know, you're the God who's in a covenant with us. You know when people get married, they enter into a covenant to to have this love that's gonna last a lifetime. I wanna declare to you, you and I as children of God, we're in a covenant relationship with Almighty God. Wow, his love is unerring, his love is unfailing, his love is unconditional, he never stops loving us. He's motivated towards us. Oh, we mess up, we falter, we fail, we do all kinds of crazy things, but God is steady. Isn't that great? I love that about Him. Look at God's. Uh, oh, God demonstrates His power. For his people at the Red Sea, but I want to, I want you to know God is also demonstrating His power for God's children because of Calvary. You know that's why Paul prays this prayer. I love this prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know Him better. How many think that's a good prayer? Help God help people to know God better. You know, if you and I would know God better, we'd probably obey Him more. I think that's our biggest problem. We just don't know who He is. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his, it should be incomparable, great power for us who believe. That power, like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What's he telling us? He's praying that we'll understand who we are in him and also the power that he's put inside of our lives. Can I just say this to you? When you and I invite Jesus Christ into our lives, his spirit comes into our life, but his spirit is the spirit of power. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So the same power that overcame death now lives inside of you. How many think that's pretty amazing? So you, you actually have a lot of power. Most of us as Christians, we don't know that, but I'm just, he's praying, we'll get it. We have that same power. So you can imagine when the enemy comes against us, what do we tend to do? We t- I, I hear so many Christians going, oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just wiped out, burdened, broken, well, all the kind of stuff. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You gotta figure out who you are. You are a person of absolute power. If you only understood, it's not just Jesus backing you up behind you, the spirit of God and power is living in you. That's pretty incredible. By the way, there's no power greater than that. There's no love that's greater than the love that you're experiencing from God. Let me move on to the third expression. Now, I like this. You know, as great as it is to have faith realized. How many know we have God answered prayer, we see it realized, our faith is realized? That's powerful. But then we see faith prevailing. We see conflict overcome. We see the Satan's powers defeated in front of us. We see God win amazing victories in us. How many think that's amazing? But this is even more amazing because it's faith enduring. I want you to know this is going to continue through all of eternity. You know, you're going to realize the whole thing. It's God's mercy and unfailing love that sustains us for our future. So it's not just in the now, but it's in the tomorrow. You know, I noticed something. And I'm, I'm watching it. You know, I, you know, as, you, as you age and you're around people that are aging, you can see that one of the great things that happens is we can't trust ourselves anymore. <laughs> That's what happens. Because our bodies, you know, I'm going to tell you what, when you're young, you trust yourself far more than you realize. Can I tell you as you get older, your body's not going to always cooperate with you. Your mind is not always going to cooperate with you. I hate to tell you this. You know, you're not gonna be able to always be able to be the man, be the woman, do the thing, you know, all the rest of it. But here's the good news. God's got your back. He's got you covered. He's gonna take care of you right to the very end because he's gonna lead us to himself. I love that. Verse 13, in your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, in Your strength, not my strength, not your strength. In his strength, he will guide us to his holy dwelling. God is going to get us there. He's going to get us there. He's going to get us there. We see it? The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip. The people of Philistia. Oh, you say the motive of God is unfailing love and the power he demonstrates to lead us to himself, his holy dwelling. Not only does God sustain us, but he also guides us in that same mercy and unfailing love. There are many times as we pass through our earthly journey through this life that makes no sense to us. Anybody say that's true? I've had experiences I go, I don't get this. I don't get what God's doing. I don't understand why he's doing it this way, right? Come on, let's be honest. God, you got the wrong script. Can I just show you the right script, the one I wrote for myself? Here it is. God goes, now I got a better script. It's way better. You know, his wilderness route seems to be the road that leads to disaster. How many can see Yeah, It looks that way. It's leading us right to the red seat. It looks bad. But you see, God was preparing the way for the future battles and preparing them to enter into the promised land. You say, what do you mean? How many know 40 years later when Joshua now is coming through and he sends the spies into the promised land? Listen to what this says. But Before the spies laid down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now, why are they doing that? We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. Remember that thing that happened 40 years before? That actually created a... Uh, a wiping out of the military power of the greatest nation on earth, Egypt, so they couldn't dominate the Canaanite area. Number two, psychologically, it messed with all the heads of all those people in that region. They were so scared, they couldn't even handle the thought that God would come against them. They said, listen, if the strongest nation, the greatest power cannot stand against our God, what hope do we have? It says, look what you guys have did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. There's no stopping you guys because you're walking with your God. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's uh, courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Wow. They had heard of God's power and ability on behalf of his people. We can mean well, we can truly love to help, but there's times as humans we don't have the resources or the power to do anything. But I want to just say this, that's not true of God. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to what? According to what? The power or the ability that is at work within us. I think... Often the most difficult and painful experiences are the actual path that leads us to places of greatest growth and blessing. You see, the thing that you are frustrated about, the thing that is the most challenging about our lives, you know, I remember years ago, Andrea, she was just a young adult, and she was going through a really deep testing time. And I said to Andrea, listen, God is just deepening you. And her response was... I want to be shallow and left alone. (laughs) And I think as we're laughing, we go, that's my sentiment. I'm in this trial. God, I would rather you just leave me shallow and left alone. And God goes, no way. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to make you like myself. I'm going to bring you on home. You are going to look, when you get to heaven, you're going to look just like me. I'm going to conform you into my image powerful the chiefs of Edom will be terrified the leaders of Moab will be seized verse 15 With trembling the people of Canaan will melt away terror and dread will fall upon them By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God is bringing you and me to his eternal dwelling place. He's bringing you and I into his presence. Is that beautiful? I love it. Where are you on the journey? Are you still in Egypt? Are you still a slave to sin? You know, God wants to set you free. I love that. He really does. How did that happen to the Israelites? They killed the lamb, they took the blood by faith, put it over the lintel, the doorposts of their houses, and when God's death angel came to judge for sin, he just passed over their houses. Do you know what happens when you and I receive Christ by faith? We receive his sacrificial death on our behalf. We apply that blood to our lives. God's judgment just passes over us. How many say that's amazing? Not only that, he leads us out. You see, are are you living in that freedom from sin's condemnation? Have you been led into the wilderness of trial and testing to discover that God is more than able to deliver you from the destruction of the evil one? just like he destroyed Pharaoh and his hosts. Do you know the song of Moses, the song of victory over the powers of darkness? I pray that we're walking in victory, singing the song of Moses. By the way, that's the song they sing in Revelation in heaven. Our God is an awesome God. Let me just say it again. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns forever and ever. He is an awesome God. Are you entering into God's promises for your lives? Are you enjoying His divine presence? That's what it's all about. It's interesting. Theodore Epp writes this to note that the Israelites sang their victory song even before they took their first step into the real wilderness and into the promised land. The value of past experience of God's faithfulness gives us the confidence and faith for what's lying before us. Let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> Anybody encouraged this morning? I got to ask that question. Anybody encouraged this morning? <clears throat> Anybody come here discouraged this morning? Anybody encouraged this morning? Is our God able? Is our God able? Yes. Amen. He's able. That's right. Yes. But it starts with our response to him. Say, Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you. Maybe you hear this point, you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. The day you do that, you will discover what life is really all about. And the day you make a surrender completely to him and say, okay, Lord, it's not what I want. It's not my agenda. It's yours I want. That can, that can happen later on. Sometimes you can give your life to Christ, but later on, yeah, we we make that prayer, but then we we, we really are trying to, you know, have God on our terms. I think there's another defining moment in our life when we say, okay, I'm going to take God on his terms. That changes everything. It's not my will, it's yours I want. It changes the direction of our lives. And then there are times in our lives as Christians we just walk through these trials and wildernesses and it just seems like we're getting beaten a little bit and we've forgotten how powerful God is. That's what I'm trying to remind you of today, that your wilderness right now is preparing you for your future victory. That's what you need to know. And I can say that from experience. I've been a Christian, you know, well over four decades. And I can look back on situations, and I was like, big question mark. Where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why is this so hard? Have you forgotten my address? Don't you know my name? You know, I'm just pointing all these things out to him nothing's happening and you know sometimes it goes on weeks months I've had some stretches where it felt like years we're doing this but then you come out of that stuff and you look back and you go okay I get it it took a while to learn but I'm getting it I may be slow God but I'm getting it you know I understand and it does something inside of you it changes you and you have a different attitude amen amen So with every head bowed, I want to pray for us this morning. Maybe you're here today. Anyone here? Say, you know, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's my my heart cry today. I want to get to know him. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. Not here to embarrass you. Just giving you that opportunity. Okay? Anyone here? You say, you know, Pastor, I I just feel like I've been so discouraged of late. And today I realize our God reigns. And he's an awesome God. And he's a powerful God. And that even though I'm walking through this challenging time in my life, I now know there's a purpose. And that's, God, you're preparing me for my future. Can you see how he set them up for the future? How many would have said, I'm going to take the road to to Canaan land. God goes, no, no, we're going through the wilderness. Yeah, but God, there's a big body of water there called the Red Sea. You know, can you see why we have to trust God not lean to our own understanding? I'm going to get that now. See, in our natural mind, we always take the Canaan road. Come on now. We always take the Canaan road. But if we say, okay, God, I'm just going to follow you. Uh, I don't know if this quite makes sense, God, but I'm going to keep trusting you. I've had those moments, but God is setting you up for your future. Let's pray. Lord, You've heard our cries. You've heard the anguish of our soul. You've sensed the oppression that we've been underneath. We know that there's an enemy and he's vile. He's done everything to discourage and defeat us. But Lord, today we're just shouting in our innermost being that you, oh God, are an awesome God. You reign, you're defeating the powers of darkness and discouragement and the difficulties in our lives. And Lord, we're leaving this place knowing that we have a song in our heart. We're declaring our allegiance to you. And we thank you for the victory that you have brought in Christ at Calvary. We thank you for the victory that you are bringing personally into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that if we're in an hour of testing, that we, by faith, can see there's just a victory around the corner. And you are setting us up for our future. Lord, we are putting our trust in you. and We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this